On the 1st of May 2014, Tobias Huffer was appointed to rule a difficult adoption case. Well, a company adoption case, but bear with me for that metaphor. The family that was up for adoption had two older and quite well-known siblings, Stolz Planacqua, an established municipal water treatment company, and Hager und Elsassa, a prominent industrial water specialist. Sitting next to them, a bunch of smaller brothers and cousins would swiftly find new homes, Microdin Nadir, Synergy, or Ecolucia, but because of their size, it was quite a different story for the two big ones. Stolz Planacqua had a lot of suitors, though. At the time, Billfinger, Evoqua, Highflux and Remondis expressed their interest, but what must have hurt the most, the less courted Hagar and Elsasser, is to see that De Grémont also wanted to get hold of Stolz Planacqua and not them. And the reason why that must have hurt is that De Grémont shortly ruled over Hagar and Elsasser from 1998 to 2001, so it was like seeing your former daddy coming to adopt your sibling and not even looking at you. Not nice. In the end, Stuhl Spanakwa left the building with Ski on Water, quite a new player at the time, but a home where it could grow for sure and get a wealth of new family members over the years. If you're interested in that part of the story, you should probably listen to my podcast episode with Reinhard Hübner. Still, sitting on that bench, Hagar und Elsasser must have had some time to think and recall how it ended here. The 1st of April 1932, a 27-year-old Willy Hager started a machine-building company specializing in central heating and water treatment. In 1937, he was joined by Heinrich Elsassa, and the Hager and Elsassa company was officially launched. The name would stay, even though Elsassa left the company in 1943. After the Second World War, the company pivoted towards industrial water applications in food and beverage first, then later also in energy and steel industries, and it would kind of prosper over the next three decades. In 1972, Willy Hager created a foundation named after him that still to this day delivers every year a prize and a medal that financially supports innovators that have a positive impact on environmental topics. To finance the foundation, the Hager and Elsasser company was sold to EVT at Willy Hager's death in 1974 and then further integrated into GEC Alstom in 1990 when they acquired EVT. In 1998, GEC Alstom went public on the Paris Stock Exchange got renamed Alstom and decided to divest from its industrial water business. Hago and Elsasser was up for sales. At the time, French water giants had broad ambitions and while the future Veolia had American dreams and was about to rule over Universal Studios, the future Suez wanted to get a foothold in Germany and seized the opportunity by acquiring Hago and Elsasser through its subsidiary De Grémont that itself was integrating it within its own German subsidiary Philip Müller. Three years later, De Grémont hadn't done much with its German arm and handed it over to another branch of the Suez group, Ondeo Industrial Solutions. If you followed the various M&A stories I've covered on this channel, you've already heard me saying that culture is a major reason for failure. And as much as the French and US cultures didn't blend well in the Veolia slash US filter or Suez slash Nalco stories, I can tell you firsthand that the French-German connection didn't really work out well in the De Grémont then Ondeo Hago Nelsus story. I've personally started my water career at De Grémont in a German-speaking environment in Switzerland, and when the fade love story between De Grémont and Hago Nelsusser was coming up in lunch talks or at the coffee machine, the one that was blamed was rarely the German. So even if it wasn't a nasty diverse at all, that probably explains why De Grémont wasn't interested in getting Hago Nelsusser back 13 years later when it was sitting on that bench next to Stolz Planacqua. 
But back to our story. In 2006, Ondeo, that hadn't really integrated Hager and Elsasser either, sold it back to a German family business, Stultz. One year later, the two added Planacqua to the pot, and a bit like Siemens who, at about the same time, thought it could conquer the water world with US filter, the Stultz Hager and Elsasser group went on a quite aggressive international expansion, mostly in Europe, but also in Asia and South America. The problem is that some of the contracts they signed, especially in Russia and Turkey, ended up being black holes for cash, and in 2012, cash started running so short that the Stultz family had to resolve to sell most of the business to Rena, that acquired 94% of the group. Rena, which specializes in equipment and solutions for wet chemical surface treatment processes, saw a great opportunity to extend vertically its semiconductor and photovoltaic cell businesses with Hago and Elsasser, and also saw promising, even if quite different markets, in the municipal Stultz Planacqua part, especially in fields like waste to energy. But as the cash bidding group wasn't already in the best possible shape, it doubled on with a steep change in market for Rena. Whereas Europe had been a powerhouse for solar cells until the early 2010s, it was rapidly being made uncompetitive by aggressive manufacturing growth in China, so that even Rena's core business started needing cash. So in 2013, the company tried to refinance itself by emitting two series of bonds guaranteed with the Stultz Hager and Elsasser part of the group. Long story short, that wasn't enough, and in February of 2014, Rena placed the Stultz Hager and Elsasser in insolvency to try to preserve its core business, which didn't work either, as one month later, Rena as a whole was now in insolvency. So that's where we are this 1st of May 2014, as Tobias Hofer gets to sort out the insolvency case and tries to find new homes for the children. Hago Nelsesser's mother and grandmother companies are both insolvent, and his sibling Stultz Planacqua just left the building with ski on water. Two candidates are interested in the company, though. Utotech from Finland, which would use it as one more tool in its vast industrial toolbox, and Aquarion, an embryonic German industrial water group that very much resembles Skion at this stage and led by Carl Michael Millower. The start of Aquarium was from zero, more or less, and Hagen Elsässer was in troubles, but not Hagen Elsässer, it was the Pulsrena Group. Hagen Elsässer was, interesting enough, not loss-making. They were in the industrial area money-making, but they have given all the loans upstream, all the guarantees, so when then the parent, the grandparent collapsed, it was thrown into insolvency as well. That was certainly luck for us, because we were one of the last interested buyers, and therefore finally we got it. And I must say, aging to Germany was a good acquisition. The company is doing quite well, it's not loss-making. And from this point, it was then the key part of the Aquarium Group. Thomas Wiel, Aquarium COO, was a former managing director of Hager & Elsässer, now shortened H&E, and Carl Michael sure saw that as a key asset to bring the company back on track. Insolvency is a tough situation, as you know, with suppliers, with clients, to regain confidence with clients, to regain confidence with suppliers and with banks. All these things have been quite challenging. 
The respective trajectories of our two siblings widely differ though from 2014 to today. On one hand, Stultz Planaqua served as one of the first keystones in the ski on water building that's one of the, if not simply the, fastest growing water company in the world. Again, if you want to dig into that story, listen to the interview with Reinhard Hübner I mentioned earlier. On the other end, H&E sure was the jewel in Aquarian's crown, but nothing really changed in a decade and I can postulate some simple hypotheses as to why that's as it is. First, Aquarian was backed by an investor with a clear timeline. The Green Growth Fund, powered by the Republic of Tatarstan, was eyeing a 5-2 maximum tenure exit through either a sale or an IPO. Meanwhile, Ski on Water is backed by Susan Clatton, the richest woman in Germany, with the ambition to build a water giant. Second, betting on industrial water growth in 2014 was slightly ahead of the wave. And once the wave started rising, many new actors made inorganic growth or MA quite more challenging and expensive in the sector. And the likes of Soar slash Naihu's Ski on Water through Ovivo, why not simply Xylem or Evoqua got the lion's share. Third, and more confusing, it seems simply to be something odd with HE. When someone else is touching a technology, it's cool and game. But when it's H&E, it's hard to believe and prudent to step back. Let me give you an example. When 374 Water comes up with a supercritical water oxidation technology, it's cool and game, and they were still valued at nearly $700 million in April of this year, with a technology that's very promising, but still to industrialize. Meanwhile, when H&E markets supercritical water oxidation for a good while through its Aquacritux business unit, it raises an eyebrow when not simply skepticism. Now, that third kind of subjective reason is also the one that makes this month's move by Gradient the most intriguing and interesting to follow. <laughs> In short, on the 1st of October, Gradient announced that it acquired 51% of H&E with the goal to ramp up its share to 100% within the next 12 months. In case you don't know Gradient, they've been founded at MIT and have experienced rapid growth in the US and mostly Asia by offering water and wastewater treatment technologies and services to the industrial world with a specific focus on semiconductors, pharmaceuticals, food and beverage, lithium and critical minerals, and renewable energy. Now they're also well known for their funding round this May, as their $225 million Series D officially made them the first and only unicorn in the water sector. So after all of that, it's maybe time to answer my opening question, don't you think so? Will Gradient succeed with H&E where Suez, Stultz and Rena failed? I could open with a very subjective, pessimistic reason. It didn't work for anyone before, why would it work for Gradient? Well, probably because Gradient goes at it differently than the others. H&E has been rumored to be on the verge of being sold several times over the past months. One deal even fell through quite late into due diligence. All these deals were more or less about the technological expansion of an existing ranch. But I feel like Gradient sees that differently. They have no footprint in Europe and here they'd be one-to-one -one extending their sales reach with a 90-year-old player. Will they trash H&E's technologies and capabilities? Certainly not. But they're more interested in the 30,000 existing references in my humble opinion. Plus, this kind of expansion investment is the way Graydon has quite successfully been working in Asia and H&E also has an Asian presence, so that may lead to some synergies, even though you know how little I believe in synergies. But the real make or break of this deal is the people. 
If I'm trying to make a mental list of the water technologists I esteem the most, many of them have been working for H&E at some point. I could open a full sidetrack and explain why usually working for a struggling or cash short company is an incredible learning experience as you'll have to go above and beyond. You will maybe burn out, but you will learn a lot. So H&E surely still has a wealth of great people. Hence the challenge becomes how do you leverage the best out of their knowledge while making them pivot towards the business model and mentality of the sole and only water unicorn. A part of the answer certainly lies in the integration strategy Gradient wants to implement. I'd be super curious to see how that unfolds, so you can be sure that I'll update you if there's anything to say about it. Some last few words. I've been super surprised to see how little reactions that move triggered. Every social post by the specialized press or the two groups about that acquisition Merly got a couple comments, so I'm not expecting you to be that much still with me thrust deep into the episode. Yet I thought H&E's rich history was worth this crazy extra work. And I think for anyone interested in water m and and investment and how to do it right, there's a ton to learn along that path and probably some more with the future developments of the Gradient slash H&E story. I'm actually preparing further episodes along those same topics. The interviews are recorded, most of the research and some of the editing are done as well. Trust me, there are some nuggets inside, so make sure to not miss out by subscribing to this channel. And while you're at it, consider smashing that like button, and I'll see you next time. Go!